Word of God before us this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Famous plot twists in movies. If you were to give yourself a moment on that, I would imagine you'd come up with a few famous plot twists in movies, depending on the movies you've seen over the years. There's the Jimmy Stewart movie, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. And towards the end of the movie, you find out who actually shot Liberty Valance. I'll try to stay away from spoilers on these. Or there is Forrest Gump. Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan had a rough go of it for quite a while. But then there was a little bit of a plot twist that towards the end, things turned out pretty well for Lieutenant Dan. Planet of the Apes. Charlton Heston, in the last scene of the movie, finds out what planet he's actually on. The Empire Strikes Back. Where's Dominic? Dominic would know this one. Empire Strikes Back, where Luke Skywalker finds out who his real father is. And then... There are caper movies like Ocean's Eleven with George Clooney and, and Carl Reiner where it looks as though everything is falling apart knowing it, nothing is happening right in what they're trying to do. But then, plot twist, the joke is on us. Actually, everything was working exactly to plan and everyone lives happily ever after. Plot twists in movies and books Short stories can be entertaining, they can be memorable. Easter, brothers and sisters. Easter is the ultimate plot twist for the ultimate story. The ultimate story that involves the whole world, it involves you and me, and this plot twist and this story happens to be absolutely true. And so with God's word before us, let's take a moment to consider that Easter is the ultimate plot twist. And we'll, we'll see, first of all, how this plot twist affected the women who went to the tomb, and also how it impacts you and me. For the women on that early Sunday morning, the plot line at first, for them, was predictable and sad there's some archaeological evidence and, and some historical evidence that, that seems to suggest that, that the mourning for these women as they went out to anoint the, the body of Jesus, that perhaps these are some of the things that they see as they walk along. They, they leave one of the major, through one of the major gates in Jerusalem, and once they do, they, they walk into an open area which is just northwest of the city, just northwest of the walls of the city. And as they walk into this area, it's clear that this area has been a, used as a quarry for quite a while, a stone quarry. And so they keep walking along, and, and before long, they, 
they, they come across kind of a rocky rise, and the locals have a, have a name for it, Golgotha, which means place of the skull, and, and this has turned to be a favorite place for the Roman authorities to hold public executions, specifically crucifixions. And as they walk past this, this rocky hill, for, for, for these women, the, the horror of, of all that has taken place over the last several days comes flooding back. All the things that happened to Jesus from the Thursday night when he was arrested to the, to the fake trial that he was put through first in front of religious authorities and, and then he was brought early Friday morning before Pontius Pilate because Pontius Pilate was the only one who had authority to actually sentence someone to death. And while that was going on, they remember that Jesus underwent abuse and ridicule. He was beaten. He was spat upon. Soldiers put a, put a purple robe on him and put a crown of thorns on him because they had heard that he talked about being some kind of a king, so they got their laughs out of that. He was tortured brutally with a, a Roman flagrum, a, a Roman scourge that did horrific, horrific damage to his body. And finally, under pressure from the mob, Pontius Pilate orders that Jesus of Nazareth be sentenced to death, death by crucifixion. And so on that Friday, Jesus made his way through the streets of Jerusalem, going through a gate, going outside the city into that quarry area, up on that little rocky hill, and there the Roman soldiers crucified him. And there he hung, and he suffered, and he suffered. And finally, on Friday afternoon, he died. But they keep walking. They walk past that horrible place. But they don't need to walk much further because just beyond the little Golgotha hill, there's, there's a series of tombs very close by. And, and there's, a, there's a garden very close by. And when we're talking close, very close, perhaps as near as, as 150 feet from Golgotha hill, only about 150 feet, and there's a nice garden there, and there's a brand new tomb. And these women know that it is in this brand new tomb that two admiring religious leaders, they took Jesus' body down from the cross, and they prepared it with spices, and they wrapped it in linen, and they placed his body on the ledge inside that tomb. But the women also know that these men had to do it in haste, and so the women have come on this Sunday morning to apply more spices to Jesus' body according to Jewish burial custom. So far, their day is going as they expect it to go. This terrible, sad, predictable day where they are going to take care of the corpse of their friend. 
But then the plot begins to turn. They get closer inside that garden and they see that the typical stone that is, that is rolled in front of the entrance of a tomb to avoid people coming along to tamper with any bodies, that that stone is completely out of the way. And so the, the women walk right in. They have to kneel down or crouch down quite a bit because the, the entrance is not all that big. And they look in and on that ledge... Nobody. Luke tells us a little bit later on that what is there are Jesus' burial clothes, which are nice and neat and, and carefully arranged, which doesn't really mean to, doesn't seem to make any sense at all if somebody were to come in and steal the body. You, you wouldn't walk in and say, oh, we have to hurry up and steal this body. Well, first let's unwrap him. Unwrap, 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 unwrap. And then, oh, now we're not done yet. Now we have to arrange it so it's nice and neat. Neatness counts. So they would do everything nice and neat. And now, okay, now let's take the body. That does not compute. That does not compute. And so while the women were, were wondering about what they were seeing, now comes the real plot twist. The two angels. And they are shining with the glory of heaven. But on top of that is what the angels tell them. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And how did the women react to what the angels have just told them? Luke records, they remembered. They remembered Jesus' words. They remembered, looking, thinking back as they were with him over his three-year ministry, every once in a while he would come out and say why he had come and somehow that he would have to die. And then he did speak of that, that three days after his death, he would rise. You and I, of course, have the luxury of seeing the whole picture laid out for us in the living Word of God. That God the Son came here with a purpose in mind to live a holy life in humanity's place, fall in humanity's place as their substitute. And then to take upon himself every sinful failure, every wrong, every one, and carry them to the cross, where not only through physical suffering, but, but through absorbing and enduring the wrath of God himself for all the sins of all people of all time. And then to demonstrate that what he had done on the cross, he really accomplished According to Jesus' promise, he rose back to life. And so, for these women, what had started out as a predictable, sad day, we're going to come and show some care and concern for the corpse of our friend. All of a sudden, they're staring a plot twist in the face, a plot twist that would not just change their day, 
it would change their lives and the lives of the disciples and the lives of many, many more forever. How's the plot line of your life coming along? Sometimes life can kind of be like Groundhog Day. Another movie reference, sorry. Somebody mentioned that to me earlier. Kind of do the same thing day after day. Go to work, come home, get paid a little something. You set a little money aside, maybe to go to a fish fry on Friday night. Set a little money aside for a little bit of savings. Uh, set a little money aside maybe to take a little vacation once in a while. Set a little, a little money aside maybe for, a, for retirement, maybe. But you do that, and you do that, and you do that some more, and over time you can just begin to, to absorb this presumption that this is what life is. This is what life is supposed to be. Use your talents, work, get a little money, support yourself, support your family, take a little break when you can, and move on to the next thing. It can be easy, even though we know better, it can be easy to presume that this is the plot line of my life. This is, this is what life is. But God the Son now confronts you and me with a plot twist. First of all, in his word, he, he tells us that that is not life. And he reminds us that you and I have an immortal soul. You and I are going to live forever. Just a matter of question of where. And the living word of the Lord also reminds us that you and I have a problem. And it's not the economy or it's not who's currently in office or, 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 or how our health is or, or uh, how things are going along overseas. The problem is sin. Sin. That, that the reason why there's so much anguish and, and loneliness and, and heartbreak, and anxiety, and, and terror, and, and horror in the world is because of sin, and, 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 and not sin in the sense of that big, bad old world out there. Because of mine. Because of yours. And our sin is so awful that it, that it separates us from a good and gracious God, and, and if left to ourselves, this is how it would stay. You and I would die alone. We would die desperate. And only eternal death awaits. But Jesus came. Jesus came. We all know that we should be living lives far better than we are. We know that there is a life that we should be living, but we have failed to live because of our sinfulness. Jesus came to take our place on that. He came to live a holy, sinless life as our substitute. And then all of the ways in which we have let God down, all of the ways that you and I have let each other down, all of those things that that make you wince and make you perhaps wake up in the middle of the night of those sins that haunt you. Jesus took them and he put them on his back and he carried them to the cross 
And as he endured the righteous wrath of God for your sin and mine, he stayed there until it was all paid in full. And then he died. And then three days later, according to his promise, he raised himself back to life. That event shared with the women and then shared with the apostles, and they saw it with their own eyes because they then saw Jesus with their own eyes. That event was such an established fact that all of his disciples and many, many more willingly faced in the years to come, faced torture and persecution and death, all for the sake of proclaiming that Jesus lives and that he is the Savior of the world. And so this morning, this morning, how about a little plot twist in our own lives? Rather than gathering for Easter 2022 and then going back home and thinking about our routine that we'll start in tomorrow, how about if we do as the women did? that we remember, we remember his words, we remember his promises, we remember what he has done. Remember that your life and mine is not just an ongoing routine to support ourselves and then we die. You and I remember that that is not life. That your life and mine is Christ. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen. Please stand.